action. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. I am Al Lunsford, joined by Joe Passoff. Hot debate topic today for you today, Joe. We're talking our favorite golf movies and golf movies that you should see. Uh, and I'm excited to get into this one, Joe. We were reminded uh, and thought about this topic with the unfortunate passing of Bob Barker, uh, of course, the well-known host of The Price is Right for many years, passed away on the 26th of August. And we know and love Bob Barker from his cameo in the movie Happy Gilmore. Uh, voted the MTV Movie Award Best Fight in a Movie between Barker and and Happy. And it is a part of what makes that at the top of my list, but we'll get into that. Joe, we remember Bob today and uh, walk through some of the, the classic golf films. Now, I, I know I haven't seen all of the ones that maybe we're going to talk about today. Vice versa, I, you may have seen all of them, but uh, this will be a fun conversation today. Yeah, Al, I, I haven't seen all of them either. Um, I've seen my fair share, uh, both a guy who enjoys movies, I mean, who doesn't, and uh, and also who loves golf. And so I've always been kind of curious what Hollywood does with golf treatments. Um, for the most part, I will say it's been kind of a modest disappointment over the years where you might hear about a fabulous cast or a book you've loved or the whole premise sounds great and it hasn't lived up to the hype. But in many cases, we've enjoyed a lot of these movies nonetheless, um, and, and sometimes watch them over and over again. And you know, this being a week uh, where you and I are talking, um, it's a little quiet in the professional game right now. Football season kind of getting rolling. Um, we're still a couple of weeks away from the Ryder Cup. And uh, as you mentioned, with the passing of Bob Barker, 99 years old, legendary status as a game show host, an animal activist. And then in a scene we're going to talk about from the movie Happy Gilmore, if it's not the funniest scene in a golf movie ever, and, and we can debate this, uh, it certainly was the most surprising, uh, no matter what you felt might be coming up in this film, that's not what you thought it was going to deliver uh, at that moment. And I think that's why it's so treasured. So, um, you know, I'm feeling a little bit like uh, the old 70s, 80s and 90s great movie reviewers, Siskel and Ebert. And uh, I I've got the size uh, of the Roger Ebert character going. You bear a slight resemblance to Gene Siskel, a couple of the great Chicago movie critics. And uh, they were famous for their thumbs up or thumbs down. So um, let's talk about golf movies, Al. Well, I'll take your word for it on the uh, resemblance front. Uh, can't say I'm familiar with those. Well, I'd, I've heard the name Roger Ebert, sure. But uh, the other one, not familiar. Again, I'll take your word for it. So what we're going to do today is we're each going to have three movies we discussed, golf movies you should see. Uh, a couple honorable mentions thrown in there. Uh, and at the end of the episode, um, we're going to talk golf movies first, and then we're going to conclude with a little rapid fire, taking some of our reader polls 
from recent Links Insider email newsletters you may have seen if you subscribe to our newsletter. If you don't, go to our website uh, where you can enter your email to subscribe there. You get those for free weekly, delivered right to your inbox. So we'll get to those at the end. We'll start, though. Uh, I'll start, Joe. I've labeled my picks as podium picks, gold, silver, and bronze, uh, with a honorable mention to note as well. And the aforementioned Happy Gilmore is my gold medalist. You know, this is the movie that it's infinitely quotable for me and, and folks of my age, uh, just the same as, as anyone who grew up in the 80s, that Caddyshack is probably that movie for them on the golf course. This so this is true for Happy Gilmore for uh, kids who grew up in the 90s, uh, young adults who got the chance to watch this movie in 1996. Of course, Happy Gilmore, aspiring hockey player, finds out that uh, he has quite the golf swing, hits it over 400 yards, uh, and his grandmother is ailing. Uh, he decides to enter in a tournament where the winner gets uh, a a spot on the PGA Tour. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil too much for anyone. You know, it's been long enough. You should have seen Happy Gilmore by now. But uh, Happy gets on the tour, uh, much to the chagrin of a few touring pros, notably his arch nemesis, Shooter McGavin. The ensuing hijinks, Joe, follows Happy in his quest to uh, get enough money for his grandmother to keep her house uh, that is being foreclosed and win the tour championship. That's the ultimate goal. Um, really good cast. Uh, Adam Sandler, obviously. Christopher McDonald, of course, Shooter McGavin. Uh, Julie Bowen, who you might know from Modern Family, uh, the mom in Modern Family, as Virginia Vinnett, uh, who was the love interest of Happy Gilmore. And uh, Carl Weathers as Chubbs, who uh, you may remember, Joe, had his hand bitten off by an alligator, famously. Um, some other great cameos. We talked about Bob Barker. Uh, Lee Trevino has a couple of nice cameos in here too, uh, and all of the the quotes that you bring out to the golf course just tap it in. Uh, ball doesn't go in the hole. Just go to your home. It's your home. Uh, I could go on, <laughs> Joe. I love Happy Gilmore. What say you? Well, it's your gold medal winner, Al. I I have to respect that. Um, and I, I think for a lot of people out there, uh, of whether it's a certain age or not, um, it ranks very, very high uh, in the memorable, you know, in the memorability category. Uh, and this character, Adam Sandler, is so much like all the other Adam Sandler characters, no matter what kind of movie he's in, where um, I, I may just, you know, rocked in the 1990s. He always plays something that straddles that fine line of lovable goofball and detestable jerk. I mean, <laughs> it's just a close call every time, but, you know, generally he wins over audiences, you know, with his 
brand of humor. Um, and, uh, and, and that's okay by me. Uh, it doesn't work as well for me as your, what's going to be your silver medal winner, which we'll get to, um, which is equally goofball, you know, slapdash hysterical. I just found it funnier than I did happy Gilmore. And we will get to that choice. Um, I must say the golf course used for the uh, filming scenes, especially the Bob Barker fight scene in Happy Gilmore, uh, gorgeous setting for a golf course. They call it San Francisco, but it's actually Swanee Set Resort in British Columbia, which I visited ages ago and, and just remembered as being one of the more scenic golf courses that I had encountered right on the water. And, uh, and so you'll enjoy the scenery in it. Um, yeah, uh, don't let me be a wet blanket. It's, you know, the majority of folks that have, that have seen this and love this uh, because of its humor. And like I said, the fight scene with Bob Barker, probably the most surprising development in a movie that maybe I've ever seen. But watch it again. Uh, the fight scene is hysterical. It is absolutely awesome, crazy, goofy, fun. And, um, you know. If I felt the same way about the rest of the movie, I would uh, I would probably uh, give it the accolades that you have. But uh, either way, a worthy medal winner. Adam Sandler in his prime. Uh, I forget to forgot to mention that Ben Stiller makes a great cameo in this as the nursing home orderly uh, villain <laughs> watching over Happy's grandmother. And uh, who hasn't tried the Happy Gilmore swing? You know, it's a cultural phenomenon. A fair point. Uh, and of course, somebody I love, Vern Lundquist, uh, helping out with the <laughs> with the broadcasting side of, of things. So, you know, for those of us Vern fans, I mean, look at that movie again and uh, you'll enjoy it. You'll laugh. No, no worries on that. I could watch it any day of the week. Um, Joe, if you want, I can just keep going down my list and then we'll get to, to yours. Sure. Um, a lot of the ones on mine are, are on the popular side that many people have heard of. Uh, Silver goes to Caddyshack, um, what many consider to be one of the the funniest movies of all time. And it, it's not like, you know, for me, Happy Gilmore is just part of my my coming of age and into the game of golf, uh, developing an interest there. Uh, it resonates with me caddyshack is right there uh it's not a, a movie that i don't think my parents would allow me to be exposed to for a little while uh but once i i got a taste of it it is the same way infinitely quotable stellar cast chevy chase rodney dangerfield's coming out party uh you got bill murray um Ted Knight, uh, the infamous Judge Smales. Is that how you say it, Judge Smales? That's it. Yeah. Uh, and a host of others. Um, Danny Noonan, uh, played by Michael O'Keefe as well. It's hard to nail down what the plot of Caddyshack is. It feels like there's six different plots going on at once, but, you know, essentially it's a, a stuffy uh, club president who, who doesn't want to allow Rodney Dangerfield's character to come in. And you've got Danny Noonan who wants to get this scholarship, but doesn't really like the, the stuffiness of the club either. 
you've got the whole caddy element going on. Um, <laughs> like I said, it's it's hard. It, it just kind of spirals into different storylines, and then of course you've got Bill Murray against the the Gopher that everyone knows as well. Um, I'm sitting here. I've got Carl Spackler and his quote, uh, Cinderella story quote on my wall, signed by Bill Murray, actually. Um, it's just a magnificent film that you could watch every day of your life and find something new to laugh at. Well, I think part of this could be um, an age difference, not so much a generational difference, and the fact that we're golfers and we, we have a sense of humor. Um, but Caddyshack came out in 1980, and had some of those sensibilities. And, you know, um, you don't have to tell me how old you are, but I don't think you were very old at that time. Um, and so when uh, Happy Gilmore came out 16 years later, I mean, I'm 16 years older after that. And some of your sensibilities occasionally shift. Um, you find other things funny that you didn't and vice versa. Um, but Caddyshack was for a long, long time, uh, one of those movies when you didn't have so many choices that if it came on the air, whether it was three quarters of the way through or right at the beginning, you stopped what you were doing and you watched this movie, you watched the rest of it. And just incredible writing from the characters that were created and the little scenes even the knowing scenes about caddies and caddying where there were other caddies along with Danny Noonan's character uh, and young folks fighting to be at the top of the list and maybe getting a college scholarship. But the original tagline, I think, um, I didn't look this up, but I thought I remembered as being the snobs versus the slobs. And that kind of, as you explained the plot points, was just, that was it. Ted Knight as Judge Smales, again, a total snob, uh, and his wife, and they're very proud of Bushwood, their golf club, and don't want to let just any old individual in there. But the pompousness that he played, some would say overplayed, but to perfection. So he explains to young Danny Noonan on how he tries to be fair and help young people. And, you know, Danny, I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. I, I didn't want to do it. I felt I owed it to them. I mean, it's just crazy stuff like that, that emerged from a writer to have this guy save this line that says, you know, this is as pompous as it gets. And that's why it's funny. So you had a lot of physical humor in Caddyshack from a swimming pool scene involving a baby, baby Ruth bar, which we really can't talk about too much more uh, in a family podcast like this. But it was stuff when you were 17 years old uh, and you said, yeah, this is really funny. I can't believe these guys did this. So um, for all of those characters, for some sort of plot line, for a great closing sequence, how it all unfolded. Um, and then the total weirdness of Chevy Chase being a phenomenal golfer who could care less about anything, including money because he had so much of it. Um, yep. That's, it's a good silver pick for you. It, it would be my gold. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the movie post poster at the top. It's, some people just don't belong at the very top. <laughs> but there's so many good, like, you just forget how many great lines that some of these movies have. And yeah, Judge Smales. Want to come to the Yacht Club? <laughs> over and over. And you can pick your character. And at least people of my age, uh, if they play golf, chances are they know the entire uh, script word for word. And we could act it out literally uh, on the driving range if if we chose to. Most people would elect not to hear us do that. But yeah, that's how it's resonated through the years. Inevitably, a lot of these, when you bring up one quote from Caddyshack, it just you go back and forth with whoever you're playing with and you hit a bad and, shot. Oh, my arm is broken. Oh. But even if it's Chevy Chase or if it's one of the Ted Knight, one of the other characters, I mean, Bill Murray did kind of steal the show as the lunatic superintendent greenskeeper trying to keep gophers off the golf course. And, and uh, I, yeah, again, if you haven't watched it in a while, go, go, go do it. Have some laughs. Spalding is also one of the great secondary characters. <laughs> 20 bucks. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, love those two. Uh, a newer one, Joe, actually for you. I, I just saw this movie. I watched it on a plane and was uh, pleasantly surprised at, at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, you may have seen it come out. It was 2021. It's called The Phantom of the Open. And it is... That, that's this is my bronze medalist. Uh, I there, there aren't a lot of great golf movies out there, Joe. Especially when I started looking back to do this research. It's like... Yeah, I like a few of these, and then the rest is kind of, I either haven't seen it or, you know, it just didn't do it for me. But um, Mark Rylance as Maurice Flitcroft is utterly charming in this movie. Uh, it covers uh, Maurice's bid to qualify for the 1976 Open Championship. Uh, oh, by the way, Flitcroft had never played golf in his life before trying to qualify for the open uh, found a, a loophole in the system where, you know, they ask for your handicap if you're attempting to qualify. Uh, but no one asks for your handicap. If you register yourself as a professional, so that's what he did goes out. And again, infamously shoots a 121 in open qualifying and becomes somewhat of a cult hero. Uh, so it covers that story and um, how he got interested in in golf in the first place, um, his impact on the culture there uh, in England. He's from Manchester. Uh, it just was a a really feel good movie uh, that I wasn't really familiar with the the story before seeing, and again pleasantly surprised really enjoyed it would definitely recommend it to to anyone to watch if you're looking for a golf movie you've never seen well al when you uh first tossed me your list and saw this as a bronze medalist i was pleasantly surprised because not too many people knew about this movie um it was released in britain produced there 
2021, didn't hit the U.S. until 2022. And uh, it's kind of what you'd call a small movie or a slight movie, not a ton of promotion associated with it. And then you go with lowered expectations and you watch it and you just sit there pleasantly mesmerized. Big part of it is this story, uh, which was a story I knew. Um, I actually remember kind of hearing about it at the time. And uh, we're talking a absolute blue collar kind of factory worker type that uh, watched a pro golf event on television saw these guys on television making a ton of money and said, oh, that seems like a good thing for me to try. And so, yeah, with virtually zero experience, never had never played golf, goes out into a, I don't know, it was a field next to his house or, or a nearby beach or something, and just starts to try to teach himself to play golf through magazine articles uh, and thinks, Okay, I can do this. Now, there was a precedent to this back in the 60s. And I think somebody went down the same road, um, a Milwaukee guy in the uh, for the U.S. Open, did not have a handicap and so said, well, I'm a professional and, and did this. So uh, maybe that had a direct influence on Mr. Flitcroft. But the fact that it was he was played by Mark Rylance absolutely wonderful British actor. Um, and, and I saw this movie in the theater, one of the rare theater movies I've seen in the last few years. But I'd also seen Mark Rylance in a Steven Spielberg movie uh, that had Tom Hanks in it called Bridge of Spies. And Mark Rylance won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in this. Didn't even have a lot of screen time, but he was that good. So if you just think about an actor of that caliber, Making a golf movie, making a movie about a guy that has never played golf, and I'm going to go try to qualify for the Open Championship. And he, as the movie goes on, and people react, you 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 feel like he is a good-natured test. I mean, it was sweet, and how we and why he went about doing what he tried to do. But after he was found out, he didn't quit after that. He actually, like, uh, tried different attempts wearing disguises and false names, different names. Um, I won't spoil it either, but there's a lot of interesting things uh, that that are a little bittersweet. And then a lot of things that bring kind of happy tears in all of this. So, um, man, this is recent. No matter how you have a chance to watch this definitely tried to watch phantom of the open and mark rylance is one of the those guys that you may not know him by us saying that name and joe mentioned um bridge of spies but he's the the kind of actor that you look him up and you're like i know that guy from something but i can't place it that's a good example he's in dunkirk as well as another recent movie he was a part of uh but yeah Phantom of the Open, can't recommend it enough. So that's my medalist. My honorable mention is just a movie I enjoyed and again watched as I was coming up uh, with the game of golf. Uh, always loved The Legend of Bagger Vance, Joe. Will Smith uh, and Matt Damon, 2000 
uh, movie release there. Charlize Theron uh, covers the story of a, a local legend in Savannah, uh, Ranulph Juna, and his ultimate uh, golf match against uh, Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen. Uh, it's not a real, a true story, loosely based on uh, an old tale from what I read. I didn't realize that it was based on something else, but essentially Will Smith's character, Bagger Vance, is, is the caddy for Matt Damon, um, uh, but he is also a version of God that comes into his life. And um, by the end of the movie, he miraculously disappears as... Randolph Juna is finding himself and finding his game uh, in this match against two of the greatest players to ever play. Uh, and it's heartwarming. Uh, it's it's good. I, I just remember always liking The Legend of Bagger Vance. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, it's in terms of golf movies, that's that's one of the, the better ones, one of my favorites. Well, okay, Al. The Legend of Bagger Vance. Um, Uh-oh. It, <laughs> um, I'm not as big a fan of this movie as you are, uh, giving it honorable mention notice. Uh, the cast is astounding. I mean, Robert Redford directed, and I think part of this was I had read the book. Uh, 1995 book, enjoyed the book, you know, a pretty fair amount. Um and then, okay, we hear that they're going to make this book into a movie. And all of a sudden, the A-list stars of A-listers at that point in Hollywood signed on to this project. I mean, you get Robert Redford trying to twist your arm and Will Smith playing this mythical figure uh, who comes out to assist. And, of course, Matt Damon, uh, Charlize Theron was, you know, about as hot as any Hollywood actress uh, back then, although we say actor now as opposed to actress, uh, even a, a cameo and some voiceovers from the great Oscar winner Jack Lemmon, who was a beloved golfer as well. So so what's the deal with me? Um, for starters, by the time 2000 rolled around and the movie was out, I was remembering a quote from a couple of years before from the great Dan Jenkins, who wrote some of the best golf writing there ever was. And he, and he said, he said, every new golf book these days features somebody walking into a fog and bumping into Walter Hagen. And <laughs> it was a grumpy old man making a grumpy old comment that really hit home with me, that we're just trying for this mystical appeal of golf and try to figure out why we all are so attracted to it. And why all these books, these spiritually related books, like have some kind of fog and some kind of mythical figure coming out of the fog. And we do bump into Walter Hagen in Legend of Bagger Vance. Quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was another interesting sidelight to this movie, and that involved the fact that they were filming it in 1999. And part of where they filmed it, part actually of the golf course scenes were done just off Hilton Head Island at Colleton River Plantation. So I was living in Hilton Head at the time and I was the editor of Lynx Magazine and there were casting calls for extras to come out and take the place of the gallery. And if you got lucky enough, um, perhaps you'd 
you have a line to read or so or a close up focus on you. So unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, <laughs> I never did get out to to even do that because we had choices to make. Um, we had work to do. We we had issues to get out um, and and other work related to what we did for a living then. But there was one staff member um, back in 1999 who chose to play a little hooky and get out there and, um, you know, be among the faces in the crowds for this. So there's a little bit of Lynx Magazine connection to Legend of Bagger Vance. And um, I don't know if it's fair to name names, but I, I perhaps I'll leave it at that. Um, we we final, can talk about it later. Yeah. Can you see this person in the gallery? In the well, movie? it's it's been too many years now, um, oh, uh, even since I've seen the movie. But uh, <laughs> uh, I yeah, I'll have to think about this. Well, the only issue that I had with the main issue with the movie because it it lost money at the box office, a, a lot of money, but then they spent a ton of money doing it. So I mean, it still was a popular movie. It just didn't it didn't make back the money it made. Um, it was almost like it felt to me like it was trying too hard with those actors in place, not really being golfers, just rather Hollywood A-listers. And the accent seemed phony to me and uh, some other aspects, which troubled some other people. The black-white relationship thing, um, you know, because it was supposed to be set in 1931 Georgia. And I, I think even with Will Smith, you know, being the pivotal character in all of this, um, it's just not the way things were in 1931 Georgia. So I had some realism issues connected with the whole film, but generally speaking, you can still watch it and it's not agony. I mean, it's still an enjoyable film. It just maybe didn't live up to the book in my view. And um, that's where I, I knock it down a few pegs. Well, it could have been my na naivety uh, at the time this came out, I was 10 years old. So I, my critic's hat was more like a critic's uh, baseball cap, uh, dirtied up from playing Little League Baseball and then watching The Legend of Bagger Vance on a, a VHS player somewhere. Uh, a lot of those things probably went way over my head or I just really had no concept of when I was viewing these this movie for the first time. Um Different lens, maybe, if you look at it now, or, or certainly for for someone who's a little bit older and wiser than I was at the time watching it, maybe felt differently watching it. But sure, thought it was a heartwarming tale and, and fun. And I love Will Smith, too. So that was a, a win for me. Yeah, I think that was one of the aspects that was, you know, Will Smith had just made a bunch of movies I liked. Matt Damon, you know, kind of the same. So, uh, you know, uh, Char Charlize Theron was uh, not unpleasant to look at uh, and, and, and all of that. Um, yet, okay, I mean, I, I still think overall it, it wins the day. And with your honorable mention status, you definitely feel that way. It just didn't live up to, you know, perhaps my overly lofty expectation. So then do you have a list of movies that do live up to Joe's? expectations sure i mean caddyshack would have been my gold um but you hit me with your list before i had a chance and that's fine and we talked plenty about caddyshack um 
the movie I have to put up there uh, came out the same year as Happy Gilmore, but when one was a little bit appealing to more of the child in us, Tin Cup maybe appealed to more of the adult in us. And Tin Cup would top my list for that reason. Uh, you had another very hot actor in Kevin Costner, uh, who had won some Academy Awards for some of his other pictures, was very bankable box office star. You had a very attractive leading lady, excellent actor, Rene Russo. Um, you had the always funny sidekick, especially if you enjoy a little smoke uh, in, in your daily activities, Cheech Marin of Cheech and Chong. Um, and then you had Don Johnson, Miami Vice's Don Johnson playing a villain. But it was a golf story. It was a life story. There were some, I, you know, it's an adult rom-com, very similar to our baseball movie uh, that uh, that had Susan Sarandon and and Kevin Costner. Tell me the name of the movie again, Al. Um, Durham, Bull Durham. Durham, Bull Durham. Yes, yes. Okay. It was very similar in concept that you had this game as the backdrop. But you had these adults believable in their own way with their faults and and strengths and so forth. And, you know, OK, we're going to see if the boy winds up with the girl and she's with maybe the wrong one at the beginning. Maybe she winds up with him at the end. OK, we'll have to see how that plays out. But there was a lot of classic golf played in this movie. Kevin Costner took months of golf lessons. Uh, generally speaking, uh, Peter Costas helped him out. Tiger Woods lent a hand. Um, there were, there were. Uh, I mean, he did his best to look the part. In the end, uh, he still didn't look like a professional golfer, but at least it was believable for Hollywood purposes. You have some of the most classic golf on celluloid experiences come from this movie including the down and out pro that is so down on his luck he has to wind up caddying for his old rival and that's kind of the premise how this thing gets going and then eventually he gets a chance to refine his game with the help of the woman in the film uh who happens to be a sports psychologist and uh, kind of where where will it go? And uh, again, it's been a long time. If you haven't seen the movie, shame on you. But I'm not going to guilt trip you. Go see it. Um, because it the conclusion of the film is one of the classic golf scenes of all time involving trying to carry a water hazard, shall we say. Um, the negative of the film uh, for golfers uh, and even movie buffs, a, a tad too cliched kind of from start to finish, you could predict what was going to happen, you know, almost at every point. By the same token, hey, this is golf. They're filming on real golf courses and uh, in real situations. And, you know, the slumps that people get in, both golf slumps and life slumps, and what you can do to pull yourself out of it. And then maybe most significant of all, if you're a golf fan, the cameos in this movie, Tin Cup, were just the best. 
you had Phil Mickelson, Craig Stadler, John Cook, Johnny Miller, uh, Lee Jansen, of course, Gary McCord, and his CBS sidekick, Ben Wright, Peter Costas, um, and then Fred Couples, Peter Jacobson. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but like that was fun. Here are all the guys playing and broadcasting and I know that there were some challenges with the PGA Tour and getting releases and all of that, but yeah, for all of that star power, Tin Cup gets my gold medal. Your silver medal, right? Uh, well, that, if that Caddyshack was my, got my... your gold, but this is well, the top okay. the top of your list of three. Okay, that you're, if it you're did, going forward on. yeah. Then. Then if I'm going to say silver, then I I have a two-way tie for bronze um, (laughs) because I had named two other movies. And I'll be quick about it. The the next one was called Loopers, The Caddy's Long Walk, 2019. And I did see this one on the airplane. Um, Had heard a lot about it. Um, Our writer friend Ward Clayton from Augusta uh, had helped produce it and, uh, and conceptualize it. And man, oh man, if you're into golf it's a totally worthy movie i mean the pacing was a little weird and they could have gone into a lot funnier anecdotes about caddies all the stuff that kind of you can't really print the stuff that might be discussed at the caddy shack but overlooking those things the individual vignettes if you will were fantastic because you had a mix of here is life on the pro tour tiger and stevie uh ben crenshaw at augusta and the experiences there let me see what else that that i remember from from loopers um you had yeah a whole augusta scene uh you know understandable that that uh, the caddy situation but you know, one of the ones that hit home for me because I knew them both was Tom Watson and Bruce Edwards. You had the Canterbury Golf Club in Cleveland, host of several majors, with a caddy master there who'd been there 50 years. Um, Greg Puga, caddy from Bel Air, who wound up winning the U.S. Mid-Am and playing in the Masters as a caddy. Uh, stuff like that. And they do the history of caddying and the whole experience about being in Scotland with caddies. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. The entertainment value is kind of surpassed by the informational aspects. But if you're into golf, if you've ever had a caddy, been a caddy, thought about the concept of golf at its very best, which includes a caddy, you'll love loopers. This one, um, I heard about when it came out because, yeah, it's a relatively recent movie, but yeah, again, shame on me. I haven't seen this one, just like with with Tin Cup, Joe. So, this is shame on me. I, I have not seen Tin Cup either. It's a, a glaring hole in my, in my golf movie watching resume. Well, there are tons of other golf movies out there, uh, really. I mean, realistically, 12 to 15 kind of that made an impression that we're in a theater had a, an actor or actress for, you know, that we know I haven't seen many of them myself um, either hearing the negative reviews and just not going to see them or they just came and went and, and I got busy. Um, one I will recommend for you old timers, even if you're not, you'll love the chemistry 
of a 1952 movie called Pat and Mike. And this is a movie, Pat's a woman played by Katherine Hepburn. Mike is Spencer Tracy. And the magic those two had on screen, they did like 17 movies together. Every one of them seemingly won some kind of Academy Award or was nominated. Uh, two absolutely brilliant performers. And this one, Katherine Hepburn, played a athletic champion, if you will. She was great at golf and tennis and uh, struggled under the height of competition when her boyfriend was watching her. So, yeah, it was tough to get over, but along comes a kind of semi-shady sports promoter played by Spencer Tracy, that'd be Mike, and um, things took off from there. What you love about this film, besides sort of that early 1950s simplicity, uh, you know, and, and the conflicts that uh, you get into, were uh, a lot of the cameos. For starters, Katherine Hepburn played her own golf. Um, she was a very good golfer and pretty impressive golf swing going on. And then in the movie, you'll see some great tennis players and some of the golfers that included Babe Didrikson Zaharias, maybe the greatest women's athlete of all time, and then LPGA founders, Betty Hicks, Beverly Hansen, Helen Detweiler, and a lot of the uh, scenes were filmed at Riviera. So if you want a little glimpse of life in early Hollywood, early 50s, that revolves around golf, Pat and Mike, big recommendation there. Okay, great. Yeah. I'll go back a little bit. Um, you know, Tin Cup, it's a movie that I haven't seen, but uh, I'm familiar with because of the iconic ending to that movie right mm. and um can you just explain what what a what a tin cup is i know we saw sergio garcia uh at the masters doing his best impression of that in 2018 scoring a 13 on the 15th hole but what is a tin cup joe yeah I, I, as far as how the producers defined tin cup uh i don't have that i didn't look up one up but the concept of Tin Cup, uh, and as acknowledged, that's why Sergio picked up the nickname from what happened in the movie. And supposedly this happened to one of the movie's main consultants, Gary McCord, which is basically uh, the age-old question of, are you going to go for the green with a really hard shot? No matter what the error is, is it 200 over water? Is it 230 over water? Is it 260 over water? Claim all the, you know, all the rewards if you pull it off or play it safe and maybe maybe miss out on that ultimate reward. And Roy McAvoy, uh, Roy Tin Cup McAvoy, played by Kevin Costner in Tin Cup, decided he was going to go for it all. And go for it and go for it and go for it. He did without spoiling the ending. Um, that was pretty famous and supposedly based on something McCord had done. Might have been a little bit of an amalgamation of, you know, some other players and some other incidents. But um, it's great dramatic effect in the movie and something I think that's a, a great parallel for anything we do in life about risk and rewards and taking a chance. All right. Well, is there a movie that we didn't talk about that 
you think should be a part of this conversation? Um, we didn't touch on some of the more popular ones. You know, the greatest game ever played is one. Um, gosh, I I don't even know what else you include in in recent. Yeah, Al, in recent years, there have been a spate of golf, at least golf-oriented movies. Um, Our old friend Kevin Cook wrote a very successful book called Tommy's Honor, and uh, they filmed a movie of that. Uh, 2016, it was released. Um, Again, Bobby Jones' Strokes of Genius, uh, Stroke of Genius, singular, 2014. You mentioned The Greatest Game Ever Played. Uh, which involved the Great Triumvirate and the U.S. Open of 1913. That came out in 2005. There have been some others as well. Um, and uh, Sevi was an actual movie, Sevi the, the movie, 2014, and uh, maybe a couple of others that uh, were either forgetting or forgettable. Two that I got to talk about very quickly, and I not in a good way. One... Is called the Caddy. It was released in 1953 at the height of popularity between the comedy team of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. You would have thought with Eisenhower in the White House and Martin and Lewis and, and everything uh, that it would be, you know, really funny in a 1950s kind of way. And uh, man, for some Rotten Tomatoes ranks it as like the fifth or sixth highest rated movie in golf of all time. And I cannot comprehend that. It should be in the bottom six and maybe the bottom two because Jerry Lewis's character was so irritating as to be almost non-human. I I mean, it was just like, I can't take this anymore. And I've watched Jerry Lewis movies. I mean, I'm an old timer now. My dad loved Jerry Lewis. This was unwatchable for me. What does make it watchable if you're going to take a chance on the caddy are cameos. And it's kind of cool just to see these guys off the golf course with Ben Hogan, Sam Sneed, Byron Nelson, and Julius Boros. So if there's any reason to sit through the caddy, uh, make it that. And then without question, in my mind, Al, the worst golf film of all time is the Polar opposite of the best golf film of all time, which is Caddyshack 2. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to bring that up because it absolutely, I, I mean, in a, in a world of bombs, this was an atomic bomb. It did horribly. The there was absolutely, there was plenty of crude stuff, but we can find crude funny in different movies by different people. This was as crude and unfunny as two hours of movie watching can be. Um, if you want to see it just because it's the worst, go ahead and give it a go. Or to compare it to Caddyshack 1. But otherwise, don't waste a minute of your time. This was hideous. Caddyshack 2. A catastrophic failure uh, <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter. It has a four percent rating. Oh, God, even the that's generous. Even the four is generous. <laughs> so, wow, I, it's it's really a shame. Um, but you know, the sequel is never as great as the original, as they say, and that couldn't be more true here. All right, Joe, let's get to some 
reader polls that we had recently. Um, we're going to go through five of them real quick. I'll give you um, a couple of reader answers, but let's, first we'll we'll give our take here. Um, so the the top of the list, first question for you, Joe. This is a distance-related question. What is your most uncomfortable distance to hit from? Uh, you're, you're presented with an approach, a number off the tee, um, a chip perhaps, a, a long long distance shot. What what would you say is the number where you find your ball there and you're like, ah, this again, I don't know how how this is going to go, how what to do really. Um, you always find yourself, your knees knocking when you when you get to a certain distance. What would that be for you? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a 30 yard wedge shot um, because uh, it seems inevitable that on the on the first hole of the day before you're really warmed up, um, if you're playing a long par four and you just don't hit two quality shots. I mean, yeah, good golfers might be just off the green. I'm typically about 30 yards away. And it calls for a little bit of an authoritative swing with whatever sand wedge you're using. And I don't know that I'm ready to do that just yet. You know, it's too far to just hit a little chip, but it's not far enough out where you can take a nice full swing. And so you're tentative and inevitably... I mean, like one out of two, I skull the thing because I'm just tentative coming in. So hate the 30-yard shot in general, especially on the first hole. Honestly, I, when I was thinking about this, I said the exact same number, 30, 35 maybe, uh, is really just like a too long to putt it. Uh, you have to put a, a wedge in your hands, it seems like. Um it just never is really something that you're you're confident and say, hey, this is a, a easy chip and a putt um, to get it close. I, I also don't like the 200 on the button. That's a little bit of a, a tweener distance for me. It could be a hard four or a or a good hybrid maybe, but I, I'm never really solid on what that that club is supposed to be. I don't have a lot of you know, big gaps in my clubs. That's a, that's a tricky one. Um, anything from like 95 to like 115 could go between two different clubs as well. So that one can be testy, but I, I I'm with you. The, the short chip, uh, recovery usually from a, a shot that you haven't hit the green on, uh, is a tough one. Uh, we had a couple of people give their, short chips as an answer 60 70 yard range was a popular answer 195 yards over water goodbye pro v1 is what somebody said so yeah either like a long shot that you don't get faced with too often or a very touchy chip seemed to be the the most popular answer there uh question number two for you joe fashion question uh, and a new trend you see out there a lot uh, on the pro circuit. You started to see it in pro shops as well, uh, in the merchandising areas. Hoodies on the golf course. Are you a yay or a nay? Uh, overall, Al, I am in a nay. Um, I, I'm more accepting. I, I'm not quite as crotchety 
as uh, as some old folks might be um and and willing to allow like watching the US Open tennis guys playing in with no sleeves of any kind um like most of that's all okay with me and with apologies to Rory and the LPGA charity that started with hoodies I'm just not a hoodie fan whether it's on the golf course or anywhere else um it reminds me that it, it kind of makes me think you're trying to hide something and you know um like other than sleep coming at you you know when you go in it when you have to walk the dog uh i, I just don't see the point for adults to be wearing hoodies i couldn't be more opposite of you actually i i love two thumbs up to the hoodie look i think it's a it's a nice look it's a casual vibe and uh peter millar johnny o are two of the the golf clothing companies that i have hoodies from specifically golf hoodies uh and i enjoy them uh, for their versatility uh a lot of the times i'm wearing them uh in a a lounge setting and kind of a, a casual look I, I i like the look uh maybe that's part of the downside is it's perhaps too casual for a a golf setting where you're supposed to be tucking in uh and hey i i I like the quarter zip look as much as anybody, but um, I like mixing in the golf hoodie too. Oh, you young people in your hoodies. I'm telling you, bring back the alpaca button down sweaters of 1965. That's what All you right. want? Okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, Arnie I like, looked great. Like my friend. Barney <laughs> looked great in them. <laughs> he sure did. He's probably the only one who did, though. Well. Uh, as all our right. friend Mary here that responded said, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. We all have much bigger issues to concern ourselves with. Couldn't agree more. It's just a hoodie. But uh, plenty of people said, no, they look bad. I, I'm Al, I got to say, Definite I'm, I'm with I'm with Mary. I'm with Mary on this. And that's where I say part of me I is a nay. But ultimately, I, again, I think people just get too uptight about change and as comes with fashion, uh, it comes with language, it comes with other things. And older people are more resistant to change typically. Um, I say we got bigger fish to fry, you know, on every front. And, you know, it's not offensive, vulgar, insulting in any way, just my personal preference. Yeah. And there's plenty of people that are like, um, yeah, it's kind of stupid. Every time you bend down to get the ball out of the cup, it hits you in the side of the face and you have to... <laughs> readjust it but i yeah i can i can certainly get that uh but hey i'm a fan joe practice whenever you're out at the driving range what's your routine do you have one uh well i'm i'm a great guy to ask al because uh for many many years i was known for my bruce litsky practice habits which were slim and none um I mean, as a younger guy, I, yeah, yeah, I visited the range and would do that. Uh, in my adult life of kind of traveling the planet and playing a lot of golf, I just seemed like I was always rushing in a hurry to get somewhere um, with very little time to just devote to a quality range time, either pre-round or by itself. So um, I've got two routines and one is your classic routine. I've got 20 minutes, say, and I'm going to stretch first, and then I'm going to go through 
the shorter clubs and three to five balls a piece, uh, so to speak, or get it right and then work my way up kind of half the clubs in the bag until I'm finally hitting some drivers and I'm fully loose and stretched and ready to go. Nothing else in particular. Once in a while, I'll think about a given golf hole and say, okay, that probably is going to be driver seven iron for me. So I'm going to hit a couple drives, a couple seven irons and get that feel. But my classic warm-up routine happened because my one and only round of golf at Augusta National in the writer's lottery of 1993, I got to the club in plenty of time on the Monday after the Masters but I was so in awe of what to look around because they gave you free reign to go into the pro shop and the regular pro shop and look around at this and do this. And I was snapping pictures and doing everything I could. And it was finally, oh my God, I've got to tee off in 15 minutes. I mean, I wasted all my time instead of practicing. So I had enough time on the range to hit precisely three nine irons and that's it and now i'm off uh, they had us on my group having to tee off 10 of of all the starting holes in golf but um when i'm a little pressed for time i just hearken back to my routine of 30 years ago at augusta national hit three nine irons and off we go how'd that turn out for you i made six on the on the par <laughs> four tenth yeah lesson learned <laughs> Well, I like, I'm, I'm with you, um, some light stretching. Uh, I like, you know, probably, uh, about three to five shots each, uh, pull out the sand wedge, the pitching wedge usually go with like a seven or an eight and, uh, a five or a six, a three wood and a driver and, and work up from the wedges up to the driver. There are people that have said on here, you know, I like to work on what didn't work well from the last round. Uh, that's a good thought. I don't, I don't seem to remember uh, round to round what specifically didn't work well. And I feel like if I spend all my time worrying about one club, uh, then it's a waste. I want to get a, a good range uh, through the bag. But I do like... Uh, thinking about what your first hole looks like and what you're going to be hitting and maybe catering uh, some of your shots using that specific club, get yourself off to a good start. It's always great when if you can come out of the gates with a par as opposed to a, a double and then you're just kind of seeing double the rest of the day. But I like what uh, one of our, our readers here said, Ed said he starts with the wedges, works his way through the bag to the driver, Putts for 20 minutes, few sand shots. Then it's regret, prayer, and beer. So uh, really uh, really great mental game going on from Ed. But uh, yeah, it's not, not grinding too hard on the range. You know, just trying to find something that works uh, that you can go out and hopefully it sticks with you for the majority of the day. If not, you got to go find it while you're out there. But yeah, good range for me. Okay. When you're putting a peg in the ground, Joe, do you prefer a plastic golf tee or a wooden golf tee? 
Well, as a card-carrying member of the Golf Writers Association, my top priority is a free golf tee. Uh, and at your finer clubs, you can generally reach a handful at the box next to the first tee or pro shop or something. Um, for the most part, these days, I favor plastic tees. There's uh, one brand in particular. I wish I could give you the name of it. Um, that seems to work best, the taller tees uh, that you can hit the modern driver with. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it the head of the tee doesn't go all the way around. There's little gaps uh, in there. So whoever makes that tee, I like your tee. And then equally significant for me are the places that make available the little short tees. Again, Plastic is what I use most often, but whether they're wood or plastic, so that you can use them to tee the ball up on a par three, or if you're using a clubbing down, hitting something other than driver. Um, I I like having that flexibility, pop about three or three or so of each in my pocket and ready to ready to face the day. Do you prefer it because they break less often? Is that kind of the deal? Or what's what's the well, some, sometimes I get so steep that um, I can bend a plastic tee, which is not a good look either. But yeah, generally speaking, I, I think um, I have an appreciation for those biodegradable uh, tees that, that you can find and you can leave them and eventually they'll be part of the landscape. But um, yeah, the whole issue with, with breaking golf tees, wooden golf tees, and then you know uh, trying to locate them if they've flown away, if they've broken. And then, you know, if you're, thinking about it and put it in the little box that many golf courses have next to the tee or in a trash can or something like that. But for the most part, I seem to get better wear out of the plastic tees I use. I'm a wooden tee guy and I don't know. It's just a, it's just a feel like when you get it out of your pocket, I like the feel of a wooden tee. Yeah, I find them easier to put in the ground too. A lot, if you have a firm surface, sometimes a plastic tee is a little, um, little flimsy and doesn't doesn't go in all the way as it should. I like collecting wooden tees. I, I'm kind of like you. If I'm, I have a good bag full of tees, but if I'm strapped, I'm just grabbing whatever at the starter's hut. And uh, if I'm using a plastic tee that day, that that's fine. Um, it's, it's not a, a really big pet peeve of mine. I have to use wooden tees. Um, no, but if I had a choice, uh, if I had to choose, that would be my preference. And yeah, it was kind of split down the middle in terms of what the readers had to say. Uh, someone mentioned martini tees. I, I'm not, I haven't ever heard of those. Yep. Um, I remember brush tees used to be a thing mm -hmm. and that was always kind of silly to me. Um, it may be a martini tea. Um, th there's a plastic tea with a gigantic head yeah. for it that you set the ball down and the fairly thick spine or whatever we call the rest of the tea. Um, and yeah, I, I've ha had people in my groups that swear by them. Um, and I, I can't say I've ever used them, but um, they're easy to spot. I'll say that. This person is saying uh, they always go into the ground at the same height and you can't break them, is what they've okay. been saying. As an added plus for the fashion-minded golfer, my tees always match my outfit. And that's from Kay writing in to us. Um, yeah, and I also like 
Uh, you mentioned short tees. Yeah, I love those, but I'm usually the one who's going to grab the the broken wooden tee to use on a par three and just use that little wedge of broken tee. I did that for years, Al, and then as uh, as life gets to you and you have a little more trouble digging it into the ground with what is not the sharpest point, um, unless it's real soft turf, you're going to struggle. And when you're carrying a few extra pounds and you start to breathe a little heavier and your opponent sees on that. And so, yeah, I'm more grateful for the pointy uh, new tea, although I, I definitely went old school for a long time. Okay, fair enough. Last question, Joe. What do you use to mark your ball on the green? Well, okay. Uh, for the long time, I used either a traditional ball marker that the golf course makes available that's logoed um, or a dime. It could have been a penny, but more often it was a dime living large, as it were, uh, in my life. And then I found as my stomach got larger and my eyesight grew worse, I had trouble spotting those little tiny marks that I used. And I, somewhere along the line, switched to a little larger version, uh, a quarter, if I happen to have that in place of the dime. And then many clubs now offer a larger size logo ball mark. Um, and some of them it's fun just to put down as a conversation piece, you know, to have when you're playing one golf course, oh, hey, look at that. I remember when I played it at this famous golf course, you pop it down and so forth. Um, what I've never been able to figure out, and they're given as tea prizes, and many of my playing partners like them, are these poker chip style ball markers which to me look as big as manhole covers. Uh, I just think it's an affront. I think if somebody's putting or chipping and if it hits the marker and goes like five yards away, it, then it's just not a good marker. You know, to me, if you happen to run over a marker, you should be able to actually run over it without impeding the roll of the ball too much. So I'm into a little bigger marker these days, but uh, not a fan of the poker chip style. Me neither. Uh, and yeah, I, the dime and the penny, those are too small. I agree. Uh, I like using a quarter. For years, I actually used a, I was given a, one time I, my dad's boss uh, gave me a gold Krugerrand, a South African coin uh, to use. He told me this is worth a hundred bucks. I don't know if it was true or not, but I always thought like, wow, that's amazing. So I had this gold Krugerrand in my bag and, and used that. Felt like a, a special good luck charm type thing. Um, but I really like a quarter uh, or using, like you said, a ball mark that you've collected from a starter's hut at a, a great golf course you've played. Einhurst is really good at making all of their ball markers at their different courses different, and their tees are all different. Kapalua, great ball marker uh, in the shape of their butterfly. So I always thought that yeah. was really cool. But if so, for me, this is only if I'm out of the way of other people's lines on the green. I like just sticking a T in the ground to mark it. Um, as long as it's not going to impede anyone's putt, it's a little bit easier to to bend down and get. 
Yeah, I, I like just throwing a T in. You know, Al, the T does have its advantages, and I've, I've had to do that from time to time, forgetting to put a ball marker in or was in such a rush teeing off. It didn't happen, but uh, you know, most exquisitely for uh, for my career, I was on the final hole of a writer's match at King's Barnes in Scotland, 18th hole, and my hands were so cold, I was trying desperately to fish out a ball marker from my right-hand pants pocket and just could not coordinate fingers to ball mark. And I tried and tried, and everybody is waiting for me to mark my ball. And I finally, like, yank the pocket inside out, and, like, nine ball markers fall all over the green, and I have to pick them all up. And I'm like, this is just humiliating and if i had just popped down a golf tee in that situation i don't know maybe that would have called for somebody to kind of have to slalom around it to get to the hole but that was just a bad scene with ball markers so i can appreciate the simplicity of just popping a golf tee right there putting your ball down next to it and say let's get on with it yeah i saw a video the other day of um you know, my my quarterback for my college team is drake may and uh, at Carolina, and his brother Luke was part of the 2017 national championship team, and he uses his national championship ring to mark his ball on the green. Thought that was pretty good. I, I'm not going to use my wedding ring or anything, but uh, if I had something like that, that would be a good flex. But uh, I'll stick with the quarter or the tee for now. I'm looking at through a couple of the answers we had. Yeah, a lot of coins, some poker chips mixed in there. Uh, let's see. Someone uses a lapel pin from a jacket. Michigan ball marker, so a team-related thing. Uh, a two-pound coin from Scotland with a photo of Queen Elizabeth is on there. Um, a guitar pick. Oh, like pretty it. good one. Now, I am forgetting... Perhaps the most used ball marker, and I haven't done this in 20 years, but I did for the 20 years before that, was many golf gloves had a little That's right. A little ball mark attached to the glove, and you just pulled it out, put it down, reattached it to the glove in the slot. Um, but again, those were even tinier than a penny or a dime, so they also tended to disappear and be challenging to pick up. Uh, if your hands were cold or, or it was getting dark or whatever. So uh really forgot about that, but that I used for many, many moons. One of the other things I've never liked is the the ball marker, the magnetic ball marker that goes on the brim of your hat. I don't know what it is. I just like think it's such a, just a bad look. You're reaching up to your head every time. To Mark, I, I'm, I'm never totally, liked it. <laughs> totally with you, Al. There's just something not natural in golf to have to like reach up to the top of your cap and like, oh, do you take your cap off and then do it, or are you supposed to just kind of feel and know where? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is probably where it goes. Well, what if it's not going there and it drops off because there's no magnetic aspect to it, and then now it's gone, and now you feel like an idiot. And just like the clicking sound it makes when they clip it yeah. back in. It's just like, ah, are you serious? Like, what are you doing? 
I don't All know. Right. Maybe someone will have qualms with that, but um, it's not for me. Okay, great, Joe. That was a good uh, run through. And uh, again, anyone listening, would love to hear from you, your thoughts on our opinions, uh, whether you think we're we're right or dead wrong. Would love to hear either way. Um, another great episode. I'm going to probably go and watch Happy Gilmore Caddyshack again just to refresh some of my my quoting for the next time I get out on the golf course. Good deal. And take a gander when you can at Tin Cup and let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's always fun talking about movies, especially on, oh, any given rain day. But uh, hey, we've got some great stuff coming up too in the next few weeks, especially as we get closer to the Ryder Cup. So I'm looking forward to that, Al. Hopefully someone will have a, a Billy Baru. They'll break out and win it for the the Americans. Oh, Billy, Billy. Billy. <laughs>